Hello, this is Andrea Walton. For the next hour, I'll be reading from the Friday, May 26th, and Saturday, May 27th issues of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. The picture on Friday's paper is a picture of a snail with his shell all decorated as an American flag, and it says, I voted. It says, I, uh, thumbs up for I voted. Students earned first to third place honorable mentions. The first Genesee County I Voted sticker contest has been judged, and the grand prize winner is Pavilion student Elijah Webster. Webster, who won for Portrait of Women's Suffrage Leaders Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Caddy Stanton, was among several contestants recognized for their work. The first place winner was Olivia Gillard of Batavia Middle School for Eagle Over Bars. In second place was Logan Elmkinder of Pavilion Central School for City Skyline. Third place went to Kelly Parsons of Byron Virgin Central School for I Voted Teddy Bear. There were three honorable mention awards, Summer Snyder of Alexander Central School for I Voted Snail on Stars and Bars, Piper Hargrave of Alexander Central School for I Voted Epic on Stars and Bars, and Maddie McKenzie of Pavilion Central School for I Voted Abstract. The Genesee County Board of Elections coordinated the contest. The grand prize and the first prize design will be placed on stickers given out to voters as they cast ballots and the other winning designs will be used for voter outreach and on social media, the county said. Democratic Election Commissioner Lori Longhaney said it was wonderful to involve Genesee County students in the electoral process. It will be exciting to see the students' graphic designs in print and used in our outreach and distributed to voters during early voting and on election day. As an artist and a part-time art instructor, she said, I was so pleased with all of the designs. And I must say, the snail is mighty cute. The glow unemployment rate ticks down. State statistics overall numbers show slight decrease across the region. Unemployment rates continue to decrease in the glow region compared to the same time last year. A report from the State Department of Labor compared unemployment rates in April 22 and April 2023. It shows small but minor decreases as unemployment also decreases statewide. State statistics included Genesee County. About 700 people were unemployed this past April with an unemployment rate of 2.3%. That compares to about 900 people unemployed in April of 2022 with an unemployment rate of 2.9%. In Livingston County, about 800 people were unemployed this past April with an unemployment rate of 2.5%. That compares to about 900 people unemployed in April 2022 with an unemployment rate of 3.1%. In Orleans County, about 500 people were unemployed this past April with an unemployment rate of 2.9%. That compares to about 600 people unemployed in 2022 with an unemployment rate of 3.4%. Wyoming County, about 500 people were unemployed this past April with an unemployment rate of 2.8%. And last year, it was 600 people with a 3.3%. Hamilton County has the highest unemployment rate outside of New York City. About 100 people were unemployed this past April with an unemployment rate of 5.4%. That shows no real change since April of 2022, although the unemployment rate was 5.5 at that time. The Bronx had the highest rate of unemployment statewide. About 42,700 people were unemployed this past April with an unemployment rate of 7%. That compares to about 47,900 people unemployed in 2022 with an unemployment rate of 8%. Restore New York 
Eyes the Cars Project. Funding will help renovate the former department store. 70 projects, including the former Cars Building on Main Street, will share $112.9 million in Restore New York Communities Initiative funding. The state has announced that the City of Batavia has been awarded $1.85 million for the Cars Reborn Project to renovate the former Cars Department Store. Governor Kathy Hochul said in a news release that Restore New York supports municipal revitalization efforts across the state, helping to remove blight, reinvigorate downtowns, and generate economic opportunity in communities statewide. The program, administered by Empire State Development, is designed to help local governments revitalize their communities and encourage commercial investment, improve the local housing stock, and to put properties back on the tax rolls and increase the local tax base. These Restore New York grants will help to reimagine downtowns across our state and transform vacant, blighted, and underutilized buildings into vibrant community anchors, Hochul said. Thanks to a more than $146 million state investment, we are breathing new life into communities from Hudson to North Hampstead, jumpstarting new economic activity and helping ensure that New York State continues to be a place where people come to live, work, and raise their families. The former car store was closed in 2001. Plans call for the building to be turned into downtown mixed-use operation, including apartment space. Sounds like a good use for that building that's been sitting vacant for a while. A blaze destroys a garage and vehicles. A garage was destroyed and a house damaged after a fire Wednesday at 11884 Brown Schoolhouse Road in Freedom. The call came in at 6.06 a.m. after a passerby discovered the fire, called 911, and then alerted the residents asleep inside the house. The garage was 24 by 24. The property is owned by Shane O'Connell. A motorhome, riding lawnmower, car, and golf course were all golf cart were also lost in the fire. The nearby house did sustain some damage due to the heat of the fire. However, the occupants are able to continue living in the home, County Fire EMS Coordinator Bill Stryker said in a press release. No injuries were reported. The fire did about $100,000 in damage. The cause is under investigation. Firefighters were on the scene for about two and a half hours. Responding to the scene were firefighters from Arcade, Bliss, Strikersville, Yorkshire, Farmersville, and Chafee Sardinia. Strikersville firefighters were on standby. Assisting at the scene were Wyoming County Emergency Services, the Cattaraugus County Fire Investigation Team, Arcade Electric Department, Arcade Police, and State Troopers. The fire chief in charge was Arcade Fire Chief Brian Myers. Leroy Alumni Banquet is approaching. The Leroy High School Alumni Banquet will take place July 14th. Leroy High School graduates of more than 50 years who would like information about this year's event may call Rose Scott at 585-768-7524 for more information. Organizers are looking for class information or representatives from the following classes. 1946, 47, 48, 49, 52, 53, 56, 59, 63, and 72. Corfu Church is planning a basement sale. The Corfu United Presbyterian Church is planning its annual bargain basement sale. The sale will take place from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. June 2nd and 3rd at 63 Allegheny Street. It will be inside the Fellowship Hall and in an outside tent. Donuts, coffee, hot dogs will be available both days. A bag sale will be conducted at noon on Saturday only. Well, I'm all for hot dogs and donuts. That sounds like a great combination to me.
Speaking of activities and things to do, the Memorial Day weekend activities are listed. Memorial Day weekend services and events will take place this weekend and Monday around the Genesee, Orleans, and Wyoming region at the following times and locations. The schedule is, at, is as follows. 9 a.m. The Cloisters, 9.45 a.m. Skilled Nursing Facility, Warsaw Hospital, 10.45 a.m. Eastside Nursing and Rehabilitation Center, 11.15 a.m. Crestview Terrace, and at 12.15 p.m. at Connect 55+. On Sunday, the Western New York National Cemetery in Corfield will host a ceremony. The ceremony at the cemetery, located at 1254 Indian Falls Road, will begin at 2 p.m. at the main flag ceremonial site. It will be hosted by the Western New York National Cemetery Memorial Council. In Wyoming County, Arcade will have services Sunday at 10 a.m. at St. Mary's in East Arcade. There will be a veteran cemetery service with rifle salute and taps. At 12 p.m. at Courier Cemetery, there will be a veteran service with rifles and taps. Other ceremonies in the Glow Region include Genesee County. On Monday in Batavia, the Memorial Day Parade in the city will start at 9.30 a.m. and go until about 10.30 p.m. I'm sure that's supposed to be 10.30 a.m. because <laughs> I'm sure it's not a 13-hour parade. <laughs> it will be on Main Street starting from East Town Plaza to the Alva Place parking lot. The parade will honor veterans and first responders. The ceremonies for Genesee County on Monday include wreath kings, rifle salutes, taps, military honors. The ceremonies are as follows. 7 a.m. at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial at Genesee County Park, sponsored by the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 193. At 8 a.m. at Williams Park in Batavia, World War I Memorial. This memorial honors the 35 Batavians who gave their lives in World War I. At 8.30, Batavia VA Medical Center at the main flagpole, sponsored by the VAMC. At 8.45 a.m., New York State Veterans Home at the main flagpole, sponsored by the New York State Veterans Home. 9.30 a.m., Veterans Plot on Harvester Avenue. This memorial honors all war dead of all wars in Elmwood and St. Joseph Cemeteries. 10 a.m., the Upton Monument. This monument honors the dead of the Civil War and all wars since. At 10.30 a.m., UMMC Jerome Center. This is the site of the Genesee County War Memorial, honoring all war dead from Genesee County. The names of county veterans who have died since the previous Memorial Day will be read, and a flag will be placed to honor each of them in front of the memorial. Memorial services will be carried out by Vanessa Strollo Veterans of Foreign Wars, post number 1602, the Glen S. Loomis American Legion, post number 332, and Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 193. In Orleans County at 10 a.m. Monday, in Albion, the American Legion will have a parade. Immediately after the parade, the American Legion will have a ceremony at the middle school. Wyoming County, on Sunday at 9 a.m., there will be ceremonies on Main Street, at the Doughboy in Castile, and at Hope and Grace Cemeteries with gun salutes and taps. The same day in Pike, there will be a 1 p.m. ceremony at Elmwood Cemetery with Wyoming County Veterans Services Director Anthony Salina as the guest speaker. There will also be a ceremony with gun salutes and taps. The schedule for Monday is as follows. Arcade, 9 a.m., parade from the fire hall to Arcade VFW American Legion Post, followed by a ceremony and lunch by the BFW Auxiliary. In Attica at 9 a.m., parade and ceremony at the Memorial next to Five Star Bank on Main Street. In Bennington at 11 a.m., parade from Town Park, Colesville Cemetery with roll call and ceremony. Parade to the museum with community hot dog lunch. Free meal for veterans. 
at the Eagle in Eagle at 8 a.m. The uh, at the post for coffee and donuts. Then to six cemeteries for services with rifles and taps. A parade at noon from the post. Memorial with veteran service with gun salute and taps. Followed with community picnic lunch and drinks at the post. Perry at 10 a.m. There will be parade on Main Street. At 11 a.m. There will be honors at the Vets Club. In Warsaw at 10 a.m. Gun salute and taps with ceremony at the Monument downtown, followed by marching to the Warsaw Cemetery ceremony with Mayor Dan Burling and gun salute and taps immediately following. The ceremony with gun salute and taps at the Wyoming County Vets Club with lunch after that. There's a kayak kiosk that's going to be planned at DeWitt Park. The kayak rental kiosk that Genesee County will have installed for $16,000 at DeWitt Recreation Area is just one way the county hopes to enhance the park. When we did our comprehensive recreation plan back in 2021, there were more amenities to be added to the park, said Deputy Highway Superintendent of Facilities, Parks, Recreation, and Forestry, Paul Osborne. We did a shoreline design two years ago. We want to move forward on that design. That's something for which the county wants to apply for grants, Osborne said. That's going to happen in the next two months. I don't have any updated numbers. It depends on the grant and the amounts that are available, he said. Osborne said a lot of times grants include a 50% local share. Most of that stuff comes from New York State Consolidated Funding Program that the state puts out, he said. It could be from energy efficiency to accessibility to New York State parks. There's funding through the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Foundation as well. Through the Consolidated Funding Program, grants are released at different times. We have a shoreline design that would develop the shoreline between the current boat launch all the way to Pavilion 3, which is a small pavilion on the north side, he said. That shoreline will be reconstructed for handicapped accessibility, which would include handicapped accessibility for small musical performances, he said. Future goals include an all-inclusive playground, the Deputy Highway Superintendent said. One of the issues we have over there is parking. It would be an additional parking area basically between us and Cedar Street Sales and Rental. It would all connect in with the Elephant Trail as well, he said. Legislators voted Wednesday on an agreement with Rent Fund LLC of Ann Arbor, Michigan for Rent Fund to put in the self-service kayak rental kiosk. The agreement covers installation and activation of smart lockers fully equipped with kayaks, life jackets, and locker signage. The Association for Conservation of Outdoor Recreation and Nat Natural Spaces is donating $6,000 toward the purchase of the kiosk. The 2021 Comprehensive Recreation Plan states kayaking is an activity that must be made available to the community. As a, at the May 15th Public Service Committee meeting, Highway Superintendent Tim Hens said the equipment is basically a cage. It has four kayaks, life jackets, and paddles into it, Hens said. It will be secured to a concrete pad at DeWitt. Residents can come up with their smartphone just like you would call for an Uber. You can call for a kayak. You dial the number, the directions are right on the bin, your gate opens up, you pull your kayak and life jacket out. You use it for a couple of hours, you put it back, take a picture of it, the door locks, and you charge on your private cell phone. Rent Fund would install and activate the smart locker for a one-time upfront cost of $16,000. The $16,000 will come out of the Capital Project DeWitt Improvements Phase 4. 6000 of this cost is being offset by a no donation from the ACORNS, which is the acronym 
for the Association for Conservation of Outdoor Recreation and Natural Spaces. The total cost to the county is $10,000. Hens said the contract with rent fund would be for five years if this legislature approves it. There are no future costs that the highway department is aware of. The rent fund shares revenue with Genesee County, Hens said. The revenue split would be 50-50. Over the five-year period of time, we will essentially make back, based on estimated use, the cost of the kiosk installation, Hens said. I think it's a great opportunity for residents, especially residents that don't own a kayak or maybe live in the city and don't have a chance. Public Service Committee member Christine Yonker asked who would maintain the kiosk and equipment and who would have to take care of the issue if there's any missing equipment. Osborne said after the kiosk is installed, all the county would have to do is notify rent fund if there is an issue. They actually hire somebody local within the area so that the check, they check it three or four times a month themselves, he said. If there's a life vest missing or a kayak missing or something gets stolen, they pay for all that and they come and they fill that back up. Osborne said rent fund would own the equipment. Public Service Committee Chairman Gary Maha asked whether there is a time limit on the use and return of the kayak. There isn't a time limit other than if the unit was to shut down or our, or our park hours. We can adjust those hours when they can run it. We can take out the kayaks by season, Osborne said. If it gets dark at 5 o'clock as we get later in the season, we can shut it out so nobody can get into them. We can have a lot of control over that. We can change the pricing if we feel the pricing is too much. The cost to rent a kayak was suggested at $25 for two hours. It's the recommended rental fee. If they rent it for four hours, it would be $50, he said. If the kiosk and the kayak rental are successful enough, the county could extend the proposed contract for another five years. They can also add up to eight more kayaks if we find that it's necessary, Osborne said. It just depends on the usage. Legislator Brooks Hawley said he would support the installation of the kiosk. Paul did a great job researching it, and everybody on the committee is very supportive of it. If you've ever gone kayaking, you know that to buy a kayak is very expensive, and not everybody has that money just to try it out, he said. But $25 for two hours is impressive to me. We want to make sure that recreation is available for Genesee County. This is an option. Legislature Chairwoman Rochelle Stein asked whether Rent Fund puts any money into the installation. They do all the installation. They bring the unit all the way from Wisconsin. We don't touch it. They send us a check at the end of the year for 50% of the revenue, Osborne said. Hence said Rent Fund would pay for Wi-Fi service needed as part of this. It would also pay for repairs and any damage or replacements along the way. I think that's a great idea because I, for one, enjoy kayaking, and I think that area at DeWitt Park is very nice area to, to relax and enjoy the day. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News and the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. The Muck Dogs announced the final 10 roster members. The Perfect Game Collegiate Baseball League West Division champion Batavia Muck Dogs have announced their final 10 members to their 2023 roster. The final Muck Dogs include Giuseppe Arcuri from St. Leo University, James Asalta from Lafayette College, Garrett Beaver from Salisbury University, Tucker Beving from the University of Wisconsin at Stout, Trace Florio from Lafayette College, Sean Ladd from Dallas College Mountain View, Eric Sinwicki from Lemoyne College, Michael Padarza from Kentucky State University, Ben Weber from Sal Regina University, and Lucas Lopez from St. Thomas University.
Our Curry is an infielder from St. Louis, from St. Leo University. This past year saw our Curry crush the ball when he hit four home runs, 17 RBIs, and a 9.34 on base slugging. Also in 2017, our Curry won a state's championship with the Allentown Redbirds. Asalta is a utility guy from Lafayette College with an 86-mile-per-hour fastball in his arsenal, as well as being able to play behind the plate and in the infield. Asalta will be a great platoon option for this Muck Dogs roster. His freshman year saw him pitch 10 and two-third innings, while he had eight at-bats and had a perfect fielding percentage. Beaver is a pitcher from Salisbury University. Beaver will be a great addition to the Batavia ball bullpen due to his 9.2 innings of relief work this past season. He put up a 2.79 ERA, 11 strikeouts, and a 1.03 whip. Beving is a pitcher from the University of Wisconsin Stout. Beving, in his freshman season, had eight appearances and recorded 38 strikeouts, a 3-1 record, and opponents had a 239 batting average when he was on the mound. Florio is a left-handed pitcher from Lafayette College. Trace, in high school, was named Most Valuable Pitcher and was a member of the All-FAA first team his junior season. Ladd is a first and third baseman from Dallas College Mountain View. This past season saw Ladd have a 282 batting average with two home runs and a 791 on base slugging. Also on stolen bases, he went an efficient 6-for-7. Swinsicki is a pitcher from Lemoyne College. Swinsicki, in his 29 innings, pitched this last season. He went 2-1 in his 14 total appearances with 34 strikeouts and only 8 walks. Pedraza is a pitcher from Kentucky State University. Pedraza is another addition to the bullpen after he threw 30 and two-third innings and struck out 32 this past season. Weber is a pitcher from South Regina University, the second tallest pitcher on the team. Weber had three starts in which he did not have a loss to his name and also recorded 12 strikeouts to only three walks in previous seasons. Lopez is a second baseman from St. Thomas University. This past season, Lopez had a 216 batting average along with 12 runs batted in and a 346 on base percentage. You can catch the brand new 2023 Batavia Muck Dogs complete roster in their home opener at Dwyer Stadium against the Elmira Pioneers on Saturday, June 3rd. Following the opener will be a fireworks display for all to enjoy. For both individual and season tickets, as well as keeping up with the future games and promotional nights, visit the website at www.canusamuckdogs.com or call 585-524-2260. See you at the ballpark. In horse racing, McDonough sweeps the features at the Buffalo Raceway on Wednesday. It was a productive afternoon for trainer Sean McDonough as two of his pacing mares posted victories in the main events at Buffalo Raceway on a crisp Wednesday. In Princess, in Princess Gemma A won the $15,000 open pace for the Phillies and mares with a strong two-and-a-quarter length decision over Summer Slash in 154.2, while Delightful Summer made it a sweep for McDonough by wiring the field and collecting a linked win over Better Country in the $11,500 sub-featured pace for the damsels. It was a battle royal for early supremacy in the open. Bank the win and Miss Rockadelly were stride for stride through the opening panel in a wicked 27.3 over the fast track. Those trying fractions would eventually spell doom for the front runners. Bank the win showed the way through the half in 56 seconds, but was in retreat mode after that. 
in Prestjama A, Kevin Cummins was driving, who was sitting fifth, pulled first over and what brushed by to the top, hitting the three-quarter mark in 125.2. From there, Impress Gemma A opened up a two-length advantage at the head of the stretch and put away Summer Slash, driven by Rod Ray Fisher Jr., by two and a quarter lengths, while Miss Rockadale, Denny Bushari, held on for third. Owned by Elite Harness Racing LLC, it was the fifth win in 11 appearances for the nine-year-old Impress Gemma A. The triumph moved her earnings to $35,585 on the season and $545,634 lifetime winnings. While Impress Gemma A had to use a hold move down the back stretch to highlight her victory, Delightful Summer, driven by Jim Morrell Jr., was rock solid making it three straight wins by going coast to coast in a seasonal best of 154.4. Delightful Summer put up reasonable splits of 28.1, 57.1, and 126.2 in setting the tempo. Better Country, driven by Joseph Chindano Jr. and a Black Diamond, driven by Busari, were in perfect striking range at the pace setter with a stanza to go. But the Delightful Summer had other ideas and used a 28.2 last quarter to deflate the hopes of Better Country and a Black Diamond, who finished in second and third respectively. Owned by the Crazy Parrot Farm LLC, it was the sixth trip to the winner's circle of the year for Delightful Summer. The six-year-old has produced $24,298 in winnings on the campaign and $131,045 in her career. Chindano Jr. showed the way for the drivers during the afternoon with a three-bagger, while Morrill Jr. and David McKnight each posted doubles. David Russo had two training victories. Racing will resume on Friday afternoon at 2.30 p.m., with another 11 race cards set. Notre Dame, Hornell, and Bath Haverling move to the sectional finals in high school baseball. Notre Dame is heading back to the sectional finals. The number one seed Fighting Irish once again got brilliant pitching performances while the offense broke out for five runs in the bottom of the first as they cruised to a 6-3 victory over number five Campbell Savona in the section five class C2 semifinals finals on Wednesday at Dwyer Stadium. Jaden Sherwood got the start and went the first three in the third innings, allowing three runs, just one earned on three hits, while he walked two and struck out nine. Bryston Berry came in to close it out as he went the final three and two-thirds innings and allowed just one hit, while he didn't walk a better and struck out nine. Jay Antonor led the Notre Dame 20-1 on the season offense as he finished with three hits, four stolen bases, and a pair of runs scored. Barry added a hit and an RBI, while Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jimmy Fanara each added hits for Notre Dame, which will meet number three Bolivar Richburg in the title game on Saturday at Whalen Cohocton at 4 p.m. An amazing pitch game by both Jaden and Bryston, Notre Dame head coach Rick Rapone said. Jaden was very good right from the start, going three and a half innings, giving up three runs, but only one was earned, and he struck out nine of the ten outs he got. Then Bryston came in and was just overpowering, striking out nine of his 11 outs, including the final six outs in succession, and the last three batters were the top of Campbell's order. 18 strikeouts in a sectional semifinal is just hard to imagine, but truthfully, these guys have been doing this all year. Offensively, we jumped on them for five runs in the bottom of the first on three hard-hit singles by Jay, Bryston, and Fitz, and parlayed some great base running into a huge inning. We got a run in the second and then just rode Jaden and Bryson to the finish line. Sectional baseball is all about strong pitching, solid defense, 
timely hitting, and very good base running. And today we had all four. Now we move on to the final, our third in a row, against a really strong Bolivar Richburg team. These games are very difficult to win, and you need to usually play your best to win it. The last two years, we have not played up to our capabilities in the final, but this year there's just something really special about this team, combined with some great pitching. Hopefully, we will get it done. Class C2, number three baller Richburg defeated York in a close, in a in an eight to one blowout. York is 10-7 on the season. Joe Bauer went two for four with a double and an RBI. Ryan Brady was one for two with a triple and a single. Liam Izzard was one for three with a single. Baller Richburg is 19-4 on the season with no report given. The coaches quote, we came up short tonight against a talented Bolivar team. All in all, I'm really proud of the way this team played this season. They supported each other through challenges and shared in all our successes. From the start of the season, I knew that they were a special group of guys. It's been a great season watching them play baseball, York head coach Ed Green said. Class B2, number three, Bath Haverling, was 3-1 three, three to one over Wellsville. Bath Haverling is 10-9 on the season. Zach Musso said had seven innings pitched with five hits, uh, two balls on base, and ten strikeouts. Owen Smith was two for three with a triple and two runs. Evan Pendle was one for two with a single and two RBIs. Alex Byler had an RBI. Wellsville is 11-12 on the season. Aiden Riley was two for three with a run. Derek Coleman was one for three with an RBI. And Gavin Haggerty had three innings pitched with a hit, a run, four balls on base and two strikeouts. Class B1, number four, Harnell, defeated Waterloo 6-5. Harnell is 14-5 for the season with Andy Davis having seven innings pitched with seven hits and seven strikeouts. Sean Rose had an RBI and Gennaro Pico had a single and an RBI. Charlie Oyer and Gates Miller had two hits apiece. Waterloo is 7-14 on the season with no report given. Class D2, North Star Christian, was 5-2 over Elba. Elba is 8-14 on the season. Connor Scott hit five innings pitched with two hits and one ER and seven strikeouts. Jack Engel was 2-for-3 with a single and a run. Gage Chamberlain had a, a double and an RBI. Hunter Gaylord was 1-for-3 with a single and a run. Braden Jack Kamowitz was 1-for-2. North Star Christian is 15-3 on the season with no report given. The coaches quote, as I struggled to find words to sum up this group, many different things crossed my mind, but I leave, believe the best word for this year's Elba Lancers has to be resilient. These young men have given their community school and coaching staff every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears they could for Elba baseball. Tonight, we had complete control for five innings. In games where both teams are competitive, the margin for error is so slim. With that being said, North Star is always ready to play. Dave always does a phenomenal job with his ball club, and tonight they made a couple more plays than we did, and they came out on top. That's baseball. Tough for the boys to swallow now, but for seniors, I couldn't ask for any more from you gentlemen. It was a great season and a true honor to get called coach by you guys for the last couple of years. Alba head coach Andy Boyce. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Moving on to Saturday's news, Evan Williams is bound for Broadway, musical theater. The next stop of Evan Williams' young acting career is Broadway. Evan, a senior at Leroy Junior Senior High School, was one of two winners Thursday at the Rochester Broadway Theater League's Stars of Tomorrow New York City Bound competition. 
The winners, Hope Falloway of Brighton High School is the other, will represent the Rochester region next month at the National High School Musical Theater Awards. It was something I've always dreamed of, something that I've always saw happen to others and didn't think it would ever happen to me, said Evan, who has competed in New York City Bound for the past three years. About 100 student performers from across the country are expected to participate at the NHS MT Awards, which are also known as the Jimmy Awards. The awards culminate with a June 26th competition at the Minskoff Theater in New York City. Evan, who plans to study musical theater at Point Park University in the fall, and Hope were among 40 student actors from the greater Rochester area who were vying for a spot at the Jimmies. Evan had performed John Valjean's, Jean Valjean in Leroy's spring musical Les Miserables, one of the most challenging musicals to stage short of doing an opera. Each student prepared vocal selections to perform at Stars of Tomorrow New York City Bound, an American Idol-style competition in which performers must survive through several rounds of eliminations. Evans' performances included Bring Him Home from Les Miserables, and then two new selections, It Don't Make Sense from Parade and Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat from Guys and Dolls. Evan was a shining star on the stage. said Jacqueline McLean, a music teacher at Leroy Central School, where she has directed Evan in several shows. He works hard and is beyond dedicated to his craft. I am a proud director for sure. A preliminary round took place May 23rd. The top 20 performers were announced May 25th, and a panel of judges will adjudicate the final two rounds of the competition and choose two performers to send to the Jimmy Awards. At the Jimmy Awards, students will go through 10 days of musical theater rehearsals, master classes, private coaching, and interviews with theater professionals. Based on their skill level and professional goals, students are eligible for college scholarships, professional internships, career coaching, and opportunities for auditions. The program culminates with a talent showcase at the Jimmy Awards, where judges will select two grand prize winners for the Best Performance by an Actor and Best Performance by an Actress Awards. As they say, break a leg, guys. Continuing with the theme of music, we have an article titled Music to Their Ears. Call it music to their ears. The benefits of music education have long been touted by teachers and parents alike. Teamwork, concentration, coordination, and of course musicality to name just a few. And several area districts have again been named among the best in the field. The student musicians and the community support they get have once again led to the NAMM Foundation recognizing area districts. The Best Communities of Music Education Survey, which is in its 24th year, acknowledges schools and districts throughout the nation for their commitment to and support of music education. To qualify, participants had to answer detailed questions about funding, graduation requirements, music class participation, instruction time, facilities, support for the music program, and community music making programs. Included on the list of 830 school districts and 78 schools throughout 43 states were Glow Region School Districts such as Albion, Geneseo, Honeoy Falls Lima, 
Mount Morris, Pembroke, Perry, Pioneer, and Warsaw. A sampling of the district shows what's made them successful. Pembroke. Pembroke has received this designation for the past four years, junior high band instructor Courtney Chase said. The music department also includes senior high band director John Bailey. They have been the, he has been with the district for four years. Intermediate school band director Christina Kamazinski, junior and senior high chorus director Andrew Clark, and primary and intermediate school music teacher and chorus teacher Daniel Reisdorf. Clark has been with the district the longest at 27 years. Our schools have a lot of curricular and extracurricular band, choral, and theater groups, which helped us to earn this designation, Chase said. Between all of these groups, we have over 20 performances, which include concerts in our buildings, as well as parades, educated performances in other schools, and performances at outside venues, such as Darien Lake and the Batavia Muck Dogs. Over the past few years, we have seen a dramatic increase in program numbers, which brings in more members of our community for school performances, Chase said. We also have a chapter of the National Music Honor Society, Tri-M, that does yearly service projects. In Albion, for the Albion Central School District, Best Communities for Music Education designations have rolled in annually for 16 consecutive years. At Charles D'Amico High School, about 80 students participate in an instrumental ensemble and about 120 participate in either a vocal or instrumental ensemble, says music teacher and marching band director Mike Thane. However, he noted the Best Communities designation recognizes the entire district music program. We take our kids into the community to perform a lot. We do much more than just perform holiday and spring concerts in the school auditorium, he said. This fosters great connections. We've established wonderful ties with many community organizations and events. Our kids are also awesome ambassadors for the community when we travel outside the area to perform. Not just in the quality of those performances, but in their behavior and decorum. Thane said there have been plenty of attendees at concerts, theater performances, community performances, even fundraisers who don't have kids involved. Many former music parents and music alumni still attend our events and some volunteer to assist. Validation is always nice, right? We all, teachers and students, take pride in this annual recognition, but it doesn't necessarily drive us in doing what we do, Thane said. At Perry, Perry offers a variety of music-focused programs for students, including chorus starting in the fourth grade through the twelfth grade, and band, which starts in fifth grade and goes through twelfth. Additionally, Perry offers select chorus ensembles that are audition-based, jazz bands, which are audition-based, and small performing ensembles, such as a wind quintet, marching band, percussion ensemble, and cabaret singers. We have such a supportive community, especially for the fine arts and so many students who thrive in our programs said Perry Elementary School music vocal teacher Kathy Wheeler. There are approximately 185 students from 5th to 12th grade in band and approximately 233 students from 4th to 12th grade in chorus. We send dozens of kids to various all-county and NYSSMA music festivals, said Wheeler. Pioneer has been honored for the fifth time with this designation. We should all take great pride in the Best Communities for Music Education designation from the NAMM Foundation, said Pioneer Superintendent Nicholas Silveroli. This recognition is a reflection of a long and valued history of music education excellence at Pioneer. 
achieved through the commitment of our music educators, staff, students, and community to our music program. Research into music education continues to demonstrate educational, cognitive, and social skill benefits for children who make music. After two years of music education, researchers found that participants showed more substantial improvement in how their brain and speech and reading scores than their less involved students who are involved in music are not only more likely to graduate high school, but also to attend college as well. I feel very fortunate to live and teach in a community that supports music education, said Pioneer Music Department Chair Jared Birch. The amazing opportunities that are offered through our music curriculum help our students learn and grow into graduates that are among the best of the best. Warsaw was also given the distinction for its commitment in music. We are so thrilled to be given this honor. All of the music educators here at Warsaw work diligently to give students meaningful experiences throughout each year, and we are so lucky to be supported by our district leadership and the greater Warsaw community, said vocal general music teacher Ian Gayford. Warsaw's vocal program begins in third grade and includes third grade chorus, fourth, fifth grade chorus, sixth grade chorus, seventh, eighth grade chorus, and high school chorus. The instrumental program begins in fourth grade and includes fourth grade band, fifth grade band, sixth grade band, seventh, eighth grade band, and high school band. The district also has marching, pep, and jazz ensembles. Every student from universal pre-kindergarten to eighth grade takes a general music class as part of our program. Once students enter high school, we offer electives such as piano class, music composition, and musical theater. We also run the drama club, which produces a play and musical each year, Gayford said. In our band and chorus programs at the elementary, middle, and high school levels, we serve a significant percentage of the student population. Up to eighth grade, through a combination of our ensembles and general music classes, we teach 100% of students in the district. I think music programs are really a great thing for our communities. I've enjoyed hearing the Pembroke Band, and I've also seen much of the theater productions at Albion. Perry DRI plans are getting underway. A local planning committee and consultants need to identify projects that could each get a piece of the $10 million pie that was awarded to the village in downtown revitalization initiative funding. In the meantime, they plan an open call to solicit projects from the community. The Local Planning Committee, or LPC for short, conducted its first meeting Thursday evening. It's scheduled to get together again June 28th with a public open house set for June 29th. Monthly meetings in public are tentatively planned through mid-November. Urban Strategies Incorporated of Toronto is working with the LPC. LPC member Sandy Schneibel is a volunteer and board member with the Perry Main Street Association. She asked during Thursday's meeting how long the public call for projects would be open. It has been decided the open call will close about the end of July. Urban Strategies will develop a form with all of the information the consultants and Department of State are seeking, said Revitalization Specialist Samantha Aldrich of the New York State Department of State. Perry was awarded $10 million in state DRI funding this February. The money can be used for downtown development and rehabilitation projects. The DRI goals include creating an active downtown with strong sense of place, attracting new businesses, enhancing public spaces for arts and cultural events, building a diverse population supported by diverse housing and employment, increase, increasing the tax base, and providing amenities that enhance downtown living. 
The consultants from Urban Strategies say the village needs a strategic investment plan with projects intended to revitalize the community's goals. Eligible projects include new development and rehabilitation, public improvement, small project funds, and branding and marketing. Ineligible projects are standalone planning, operations and maintenance work, pre-award costs, property acquisition, and training and other program expenses. Snibel said there's a ton of interest in the DRI funding. Aldrich said the goal is to have a list of projects that will be ready to be developed in the short term. It's not saying that a project sponsor or an applicant would need all that information right up front as part of the application, she said. That's really where the consultant team can come in and fill in the gaps. The open call is really an opportunity for new projects to come in that maybe the village didn't know about when they were developing the application. We're trying to gather as much information from a potential applicant as we can at the time of the open call. LPC member Daryl McLaughlin, who's also superintendent of Perry Central School, said, I am of the mindset that it needs to be longer than four weeks. I would push for six. Tim Smith, principal with Urban Strategies, said the goal is to look beyond the $10 million available through DRI and come up with projects that add up to $12 or $15 million. Nobody knows the certain, for certain whether all the projects the LPC thinks are the priorities will qualify for funding. We want projects to be almost shovel-ready, he said. There may be some additional design work that's needed to really clarify what the project needs to be and to determine its cost, but they really need to be something that can get going in the next couple of years. All information discussed at the LPC meetings and public open houses will be posted so that the process is transparent. Perry Mayor Rick Hauser said Perry's downtown really exists at the intersection of Main Street and the Silver Lake Trail. The water body bisects downtown and links two of the village's greatest recreational assets, Silver Lake and Letchworth State Park. Those are catalytic destinations, he said. In addition to being great assets for residents and citizens, they're also assets that draw in the two constituencies we call Lakers and Parkers, who spend sometimes their entire summer at the lake or spend weeks or weekends at the park. They are part of our economic engine that have been supporting some of the terrific long-term businesses and new businesses that we see throughout Perry and downtown. During the public comment part of the meeting, resident Ernest Lawrence said a person who drives or walks down Main Street can see plainly that one of the more challenging areas is South Main Street. We have a couple of properties that are being renovated there now that's going to help a great deal. But if some energy can be put into that part of town, that would be great, he said. He talked about the importance of the outlet to the lake and the Silver Lake Trail. The place that enters downtown is South Main Street. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Obituaries in the Saturday paper include B. Margaret Dreyer Jones of Batavia. She passed away in Fort Myers, Florida at the age of 104. Gretchen C. Oaks, age 89, of Batavia. Harold E. Snyder of Corfu. Jane Jean E. Haber, 97, of Batavia. Anne E. Rupert, 90, of Alexander. Francis G. Radley, 89, of East Bethany. And John Gother Sanborn, age 74, of Batavia High School graduate. He passed away in Melbourne, Florida. Turning to high school sports. In Saturday's paper, Batavia storms back to stun Mid Lakes in Class B1 semis. 
Trailing 4-1, to one, entering the bottom of the seventh inning, Batavia needed some heroics if they were to advance to their third sectional final over the past five seasons. Sparked by this team's number eight and nine hitters, the Blue Devils ignited a rally for the ages, rolled over into the top of the order, and came through with the clutch effort they needed to push past the visiting number three Midlake Screaming Eagles into the Class B1 final with a 5-4 walk-off victory. The number two seed, Batavia, looks ahead to a matchup with number one Waterloo, which defeated number four Cornell 5-4 in the other semifinal matchup. The B1 final is scheduled for 11 a.m. Saturday at Webster Thomas High School. The Blue Devils, who have fallen in each of their trips to the finals in recent years, will be looking to slay the dragon and earn themselves and head coach Jim Fazio the program's first sectional title since he took over the program in 2019. This was an unbelievable high school game played by both teams. Midlakes played a great game, said Fazio. Our team has faced adversity all season, and the girls seem to come up big when it matters the most. I hope we have one more in us come Saturday. Ariana Almkinder began Batavia's seventh inning surge with a walk, followed by a single off the bat of number nine hitter Lindsey Grazio playing, before both players advanced on another free pass. This time issued the leadoff batter Hannah Carney, which loaded the bases with nobody out. That brought up number two hitter Lila Forts, who laced a base hit to left field to score a run, then Julia Clark singled to cut the deficit to one, bringing cleanup hitter Libby Grazio playing to the plate, still with nobody out. That's when Libby Grazio playing lofted a two-strike pitch over the left fielder's head for a two-run single. Fazio and his group will remember for quite some time, as the big hit gave her three RBIs for the game and helped the Blue Devils walk it off over the Eagles. Libby has been making solid contact all year and didn't always get the results she wanted. Lately, the hard hits have been very productive, said Fazio. She is such a great contact hitter, and it paid off in spades tonight. Midlake seized an early 1-0 lead through the first three innings before Batavia tied things up in the fourth on Libby Grazio Plain's first RBI of the contest, which came off a single. The Eagles responded a few innings later to make it 2-1 in the sixth, then added a couple more runs in the seventh inning to swell their advantage to three. That was before Batavia mounted a comeback that will go down a Blue Devil softball, softball lore. Midlakes really put us back on our heels with some great situational hitting, said Fazio, on what led to the early deficit. We made some key defensive plays in the early going, keeping us in the game. So proud of our effort. Libby Grazio Plain led the way with two hits and three RBIs, while Clark added two base hits. Gina Murchek went the distance in the circle, fanning nine and scattering six hits while working through a few defensive miscues to allow a manageable four runs. Batavia is now 15-6 on the season. Notre Dame outs top seed Keshequa. Road Warriors, with a shocking 7-4 victory over number one Keshequa, which was the perceived top team in the Glow region throughout the regular season, number four Notre Dame is headed to the Class D1 final. The ladies are really playing as a team right now, and it's great to watch, said Notre Dame head coach Otis Thomas. The Irish traveled over an hour by bus to the Reimer Complex and used an early rally to power pass their semifinal opponent and set up a championship matchup with league foe Lindenville on Saturday at 1 p.m. at Fillmore High School. Lindenville, the number two seed in D1, outslugged number three Honioi 10-8 in the other semifinal. I told them the job wasn't finished tonight. We have one more game to go, said Thomas. We will enjoy this tonight, but be back to work tomorrow to prepare for the finals on Saturday. 
Notre Dame jumped out to a 2-0 lead after the top of the first inning and added two more in the second to set the stage for what developed into a three-run victory. Keshequa trimmed its deficit in the bottom of the sixth with three runs, aided by two Notre Dame errors. But the Irish closed the door during the frame, using solid plays by shortstop Katie Landers, thwarting the Indians' rally and helping preserve the win. Loretta Sirachi was remarkable from the circle, hurling a complete game while allowing one earned run on six hits and striking out six Keshequa batters. Sirachi also recorded a couple of hits, including a solo home run in the visiting half of the sixth inning that cleared the left field fence. She finished with a couple of runs scored while Landers added a double, a run scored, and an RBI. Mia Treleven finished with a couple of hits and a couple of runs scored, and Emma Sisson contributed a couple of singles. Keshequa's Aurora Sabins was hit with the loss, pitching seven innings and allowing four earned runs on 10 hits while striking out 11 Irish batters. Liliana Hubie helped propel the Indians' defense, contributing a double and a run scored. Keshequa finishes the season an impressive 15-2. Notre Dame handed Keshequa just its second defeat at the hands of Section 5 competition this season. Notre Dame, which has endured a roller coaster of a season, is now 16-5 and will face off with the Tigers, who had previously defeated twice during the regular season by a combined score of 18-14. Lindenville used a seven-run third inning to fuel its two-run win over Horneoy, using a complete game from Haley Schaefer, who scattered 10 hits and, a and struck out two while delivering a three-for-three three evening at the plate, which included an RBI. Lorelei Dillenbeck also contributed a strong performance at the dish, finishing with a triple, a sacrifice, and two RBIs. Cal Mum and Byron Burgeon fall in the semis. Caledonia Mumford came up one win short of another trip to the sectional final, falling to number three Dundee Bradford by a slim 2-1 margin in Thursday's Class C2 semifinal. The Raiders fell behind 2-0 in the fifth inning and got one back in their half of the frame, but failed to follow through, while the Brave Scots did just enough to hang on to the win. Emma Years was hit with a tough luck loss from the circle, allowing just six hits and striking out four while both of the runs she let in were unearned. Maddie DeVore finished one for three with a double, while Izzy Cochran went two for three, and Madison Weiskel and Shay Drzykowski both recorded singles. Never easy losing, and I really want to thank our seniors, especially Maddie and Avery DeMarco, for being great leaders and role models to all the girls in the program, said Cal Mum head coach Dan Dickens. These games come down to who makes the best mistake, the least mistakes, and unfortunately, that wasn't us tonight. Cal Mum, which entered the tournament as the number two seed, ends its season at 17-5. Dundee Bradford improved to 16-3. Bolivar Richburg defeated Byron Burgeon 10-5. Bolivar Richburg is 21-2 on the season. Malaya Ayers had seven innings pitched with 11 strikeouts. Byron Burgeon is 11-6 on the season. Kendall Phillips had six innings pitched, 14 strikeouts, two for three, and a triple. Emma Dorman was two for three while Allie Ball had a two-run home run. Durock Letchworth advanced to the final with a win over Avon. Throughout the regular season, Letchworth and Avon jockeyed for position near the top of the Livingston Conference standings. While the Indians defeated the Braves both times the two teams met prior to the postseason, Avon remained right there as a true contender in Class C1 for a couple of reasons, namely its eighth pitcher, Jesse Cry, and big hitter, Olivia Poslowski, 
both of whom had recorded phenomenal individual two-way campaigns. On the other side, Letchworth had been powered by several contributors, most notably starter Abby Durack and slugger Morgan Brace. With four of the top players within the LCAA meeting for a third time in the C1 semifinal, fireworks were sure to fly, as they had through two matchups between the two teams, which were decided by a combined four runs. Thursday's contest lived up to its billing with all six runs in number six Letchworth's 4-2 victory over the number seven Braves, coming during an explosive third inning. When the dust settled, the Indians responded from a two-run visiting half of the frame with four runs of their own to mount a two-run advantage they would protect over the final three frames. Playing a team three times is always a tough task. Playing a team three times with a dominant player like Cry is very tough, said Letchworth head coach Chad Durack. When we get down two in the third on some very poor softball on our part, it was really looking bleak. However, the girls did not lose their energy. During the home half of the third, Brace reached on an error and stole second and third before using some crafty base running to create a bit of confusion on a big lead that caught the Braves out of position and allowed her to score. That ignited the Avon rally, which continued with a walk issued to Durack and ended with three more Letchworth runners crossing the plate to give it a lead it, it, it wouldn't relinquish. As a technical coach who focuses on fundamentals, I shake my head because we made way too many mistakes tonight, said Durack. But as someone that preaches resilience and grip, I couldn't be more happy. The resolve we played with tonight was amazing, even down to the very last play, as a hard-hit ball from Avon made its way to the fence, a relay to Brace, then a rope to our catcher, Grace Mitchell, who put the tag down, prevented an inside-the-park home run, and ended the game. The girls on both teams really battled in a wild softball game. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the Friday, May 26th, and Saturday, May 27th issues of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Andrea Walton. Thank you for listening.